You're listening to The Message from the Hillsborough United Methodist Church, our weekly sermon broadcast available for working around the home, your commute, or wherever God calls you to listen. In 1832, four men arrived in St. Louis, Missouri. Unlike most of the people who were arriving in St. Louis in those years, these men came not from the east, but from the west. There were four men from two different tribes of indigenous people, the Nez Perce and the Salish people up in sort of northern Idaho and northeastern Washington and northwestern Montana. And they came to St. Louis and they found a local resident and they said to that man, we need someone to come and tell us about the book of heaven. They did that because there was a vision amongst the people of the Salish Bitterroot tribe, that these settlers, these Anglo-European settlers who were headed west had something called the Book of Heaven, and they wanted to know more about it. And so it compelled them to send those four men, and two, uh, four men, two from the Nez Perce, two from the Salish tribe, to walk all the way to St. Louis. And they say, come and tell us about the book of heaven. Now, at this time in the U.S. and in European Christianity, there was a sort of strong current of missionary work. There were mission boards and mission societies and mission everythings trying to send folks out to share the gospel, not only in the towns and cities that were established in what was then the early United States, but to all sorts of places around the world, to all of the, the word they often use were uncivilized folks, unchristian folks, people in Africa and South America and the western portion of North America to go and share the gospel with them. And so you can imagine in that kind of a place, in that kind of a time when people were excited about mission, four men coming from indigenous tribes saying, we've heard you've got the book of heaven. Could you send someone to come talk to us, please? It was an exciting story to tell. And that story got picked up and shared with all the sort of mission magazines and circulars and newspapers and got passed around all of the mission societies and groups and gatherings. And one of the people who felt compelled by that story was a Methodist from Canada named Jason Lee. He hears that story, he gathers the funds, he's commissioned to be sent off to the Salish and Nez Perce people to tell them what he knows about the Book of Heaven. He gathers a small group. They travel west from St. Louis. They end up at Fort Vancouver, 
just, well, not far from here, let's see, that way. Where Vancouver is now. Washington, not British Columbia. They get there and they overwinter. And I cannot remember his first name. Um, is it John Lockridge? Lockridge? Laughlin. Yeah. John McLaughlin. There we go. Man, I should have written that down. John McLaughlin uh, was the sort of head of the Fort Vancouver thing. <laughs> right? He was, the, he was there. He was the boss. And when this group, including Jason Lee, shows up, they spend the winter there at Fort Vancouver. And in that time, as they winter over with him, he convinces them that, no, you don't actually want to go up there to the Salish and Nez Perce people. What you really, you know who really needs Jesus is the Kalapuya people right out here in the Willamette Valley. And so when spring came and the weather allowed them to travel, that's where they went. And Jason Lee and the others began to collect and connect with the people who were in that area, primarily not the indigenous folks, but with the trappers and others who had already begun to settle in this part of the world. And Jason Lee and others founded missions and schools and what is now Willamette University and lots and lots of churches, including First United Methodist Church of Salem and several other churches, including Hillsboro. To say it's a mixed bag is to sell it a bit short. And we have celebrated, not long ago we celebrated 175 years, and we honored the work of Jason Lee to create Methodist societies that became Methodist congregations that became us. And we had to also recognize that so much of the work that Jason Lee and others did was not godly. It was costly to the people who are already here. Children were taken from their homes and brought to the school that Jason Lee founded so that they could be civilized. Which meant removed from their culture and from their homes. Many of them died because they were exposed to new diseases for the first time. Many of them ran away. It was a horrific decision, series of decisions, supported by so many of those well-intentioned people who were sending missionaries out west. And there's generational trauma that continues to echo in our indigenous brothers and sisters communities. And we can't separate ourselves from that history as neatly as we might wish we could. 
John McLaughlin didn't send Jason Lee and that party to the Willamette Valley because he thought those people really needed the gospel, but because he had the idea that white folks should come and settle that part of the world, and this was a great way to start that work. The Kalapuya people who used to live right here didn't ask for Jason Lee or anybody else to show up. It was not the work that God had called Jason Lee to. It was not the vision that compelled four men to walk from Montana to St. Louis. And there are times when I hear that story and I think, what if they had just done what they set out to do? What if they had held fast to that vision that God had presumably given the people of the Salish and Nez Perce and they had opened a conversation instead of letting themselves be sent in another direction by somebody whose intentions were not godly. Now look, I don't want to make it sound like just one different decision and everything would have been fine between the indigenous people and the western settlers because it is not just one decision. It was a series of decisions and it was a culture that put one group of people over and above another group of people. It was not accidental that we sent people out to the West by the thousands upon thousands. It was only about nine years from the time that Jason Lee and his group arrived that the Oregon Trail opened with the promise of free land for whoever might show up neglecting to notice the fact that that land was already somebody else's. So it was not just one decision that led to the catastrophe of Western colonial expansion. But I do wonder what would have happened. Would at least that small piece of the story been different had Jason Lee and his fellow missionaries gone where God had maybe prepared a way for them to engage in a conversation, not to bring civilization, but to bring a conversation about the gospel. Would things have been different? We'll never really know. But man, it's so obvious, isn't it? That things that happen after that decision to Fort Vancouver, to go to the Willamette Valley, that things did not go the way that God would want them to go for us or for the people who were here. Paul has this dream, this vision, when a man from Macedonia says, hey, will you come help us? Now what you need to know up to this point is that Paul had already uh, been traveling with someone named Barnabas and then they were making plans and Barnabas had one idea and Paul had another idea and they, uh, they couldn't settle it. I know it's hard to imagine two, two church people <laughs> having a fight about the best way forward, but that used to happen back then. It doesn't happen now. And they separated. So Paul then gathers a few more people and he's traveling where he thinks the Spirit of God is going and there's weird stuff happening just sort of preventing them from being able to travel easily and Paul has this dream. He's like, we gotta go! 
and they do. They go to Macedonia, they get there, they kind of hang around for a while. I notice they never seem to bump into the guy from the dream. But they go where they feel called by God, they hang around, they find a place where people are gathering for worship by the river, and they go and they begin not proselytizing, but conversing. Who are you? Tell us what you're doing here. Let me tell you a bit about my story. And it's in that moment that they connect with Lydia, who becomes one of the significant figures in the early church, one of the early leaders of the church, who often gets sort of pushed aside because, you know, she's not a man. But let me assure you that without Lydia, the people of her region and community would not have known the gospel in the way that they did. Those of us who read and understand something of the tragic history of our nation, and in fact of sort of human history, of colonizing efforts by people who are powerful and wealthy to exploit the resources and land and people of other places. If you have that kind of a background, we, we're often hesitant when it comes to conversations about, you know, talking to people about Jesus, about evangelism. Because we know that so often what has been called evangelism has simply been a mask for colonialism. Not conversation, but exploitation. Not people seeking answers together, but people who come with their answers ready-made and quick to tell you how wrong you are. And so when I hear, okay, look, we have these commitments that we make as members of United Methodist Church to support the United Methodist Church and this congregation through your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, so far so good, and witness. Crap. Because that sounds a lot like evangelism, and that doesn't, uh, every time I say that, I go, oh. And like, I'm professionally doing this. I should want to, more people to connect with what we are doing and saying. And I also know that it so often becomes not something good and godly and helpful, but rather something really problematic, historically and even in the present day. God has dreams and visions to share with us about who we are called to be, how we are called to connect with our community and with our neighbors. It is not to exploit and colonize, but to converse and engage and learn from one another. When Paul and the crew show up, the reason they connect so well is that they had listened to what God had called them to do, they stayed faithful to it, and they went in with humility and grace and love for the people there. Not power, not wealth, not with an intent to exploit or to fix, but the hope to share. I have, I love the history of this congregation. I love being part of a congregation that can 
point to its deep roots in this community. The first public building in the town of Hillsborough was the Methodist building. It was a church. It was also where they would hold trials if there was a need for that. If there was somebody that needed to be locked up for a little bit, guess where they went? We were sort of a catch-all in the earliest days. And lots of other congregations who are deeply connected in this community started in our building. Our friends at the UCC church, I think the Baptists were there for a while. We didn't let the Presbyterians in because, you know, Presbyterians. I don't know, actually, we might have let the Presbyterians in. God bless them. We've been here for a long, long time. And I am proud and grateful for that history. But we don't get to be proud and grateful for the stuff that we want to celebrate if we're not willing to also acknowledge the stuff that's really been wrong. That early Methodist building that was our place of worship and gathering, that was the community center for the earliest days of this town, also for a while had a wooden stockade fence around it with those sharp pointy tops like you used to see in the old cowboy and Indian westerns. We did that because we were worried about those people out there coming to get us and our stuff. The very people that Jason Lee was sent to share the gospel with, we built stockade fences to keep them out because we were worried that they were going to come and get us. Which tells me a whole lot about what we really thought about the people we had come to connect with. And our understanding of the gospel. We didn't get it all right. We can't go back and magically change what happened in Fort Vancouver or with the general expansion of the United States and the wiping out of indigenous peoples and cultures. We can't undo that. Because now, looking back, so many of us have that deep sense of regret and even sometimes of shame, right? We cannot go reclaim the vision of 178 years ago. But what we can do, what we can do is listen to the vision that God has for us now. To pay attention to the work of the Spirit that is happening in the here and the now. Not to undo the past, but to repair the wounds that might still exist in our community. Not pretend that things didn't happen badly back then or that our ancestors were part of the problem back then, but to say that from now on we're going to do what we can to be a part of God's healing and wholeness for our community. We can't undo the past, but we can make a different future. 
And God's vision for us is to be part of a different kind of future. Not to build walls that keep those people out there so that we can be safe in here, but so that we might share what we know of the gospel with others and hear what they might know of the gospel to share with us. That is a vision that God has for us today, friends. It's easier to build a fortress. <laughs> well, it should be easier to build a fortress, but here, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I find it hysterical. So I'm going to tell you, as a little aside, a moment of levity, if you will. So Jason Lee, when they showed up with the missionaries, they got to work trying to build houses and schools and stuff, and all the people they brought were excited about missionary work, but they were crappy carpenters. They had not known how to do this stuff, and so they were just furiously working all day, and in his diary, Jason Lee wrote, men have never worked harder and produced less. <laughs> Which feels like a summary of the whole thing, really. It is easier to live in imagined safety with a fence that divides us from them, but that is not God's vision. Not for us and not for any of the church. We need to reach out to our neighbors to connect with them in ways that we have not done for the last 175 years. To find new ways to connect and build bridges across the very same depths that we've sometimes dug. The ditches that we've built between us and them, the borders and boundaries that we've established, it's time for us now to say, no, we, we really screwed that up. And we want to make it better. To listen to where it is that God is calling us to help and care for our community and to learn from our community. Let me assure you, brothers and sisters, when we are willing to step outside those lines that we sometimes imagine keep us safe, what we find is not a big, scary world where people are out to get us, but when we step into that place with humility and grace and love for our community, there is such joy. There is such opportunity. There is such new experience of the gospel. It's not easy. You might even have to learn a little Spanish. You might even have to step aside from being in the middle of things to let somebody else be in the middle of things for a while. But when we can let go and embrace this new thing that God is calling us to, I promise you there will be such joy and such an experience and encounter of the work of God's Spirit that you will not believe you are ever hesitant step outside those gates. And that, my friends, is the good news.
Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message from Hillsborough United Methodist Church. Our senior pastor is Clay Andrew. Our pastor for Las Naciones Hispanic Ministries is Jorge Rodriguez. Our media ministers are Kevin Proctor, Janica Stewart, Perry Hume, Al Dietrich, Christy Proctor, and Dave Rose. Presently, our live stream of services are available at 10 a.m. on the Hillsborough United Methodist Church YouTube page. You can find out more, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube at hillsboroughumc.org. Thank you.